I probably, you know, developed my teaching craft in terms of teaching for understanding and inquiry-based learning approaches later. I'd probably say towards the 15th to 20th year. You know, I, I taught traditionally for a good 15 years, I would say. This is not binary. I don't want to say traditional teaching is wrong or right, that, you know, there's no such wrong. There's nothing wrong in any kind of teaching strategy. I want to get that clear and that point across because, you know, as teaching is this complex, exciting, dynamic craft, and we have this toolbox of different pedagogical strategies. And, you know, there are times where we have to use direct instruction or some explicit instruction, which I think is what we term as traditional teaching. But for me, traditional teaching is that you only use that particular pedagogical strategy of direct instruction. You know, I think we really need to expose our students to a whole variety of different approaches to learning mathematics. And that you're listening to Jennifer Chang Wadhall. Jennifer is an independent educational consultant, the author of the book Concept Based Mathematics and part-time instructor for the University of Hong Kong. With over 25 years experience in the educational field, Jennifer has worked in several international schools, including South Island School, Hong Kong, and the United Nations International School, New York and Island School in Hong Kong. In this episode, we'll dive into a great conversation about shifting mathematics teaching from what many of us remember from our own K-12 through learning journey to a more progressive inquiry approach to teaching mathematics conceptually. In particular, we'll discuss how to be brave in your classroom to make necessary changes to promote student understanding, unpacking what teaching conceptually really means, and how we can ensure that students still learn the necessary facts and skills skills alongside the conceptual understandings. Join Kyle and I from here in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and Jennifer all the way from Hong Kong in this awesome episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of math educators worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. John, are you ready for episode 29? Yes, sir. I can't wait to share this great conversation with the Math Moment Maker community. Before we begin, the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast is excited to bring you the Math Moments with Corwin Mathematics book giveaway. That's right, we'll be giving away 10 books from Corwin Mathematics, including Jennifer's book, Concept-Based Mathematics, Teaching for Deep Understanding in Secondary Classrooms. Plus, you'll receive Corwin discounts and digital downloads just for entering the draw. You can get in on the giveaway by visiting makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by Wednesday, July 31st, 2019. Are you listening after July 31st, 2019? No sweat. We are always actively running giveaways. So check out makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by Wednesday, July 31st to get in on this Corwin Math Book giveaway. But if you've already missed it, no worries. Go to that same link, makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway, and you can get in on the new giveaway. Awesome. Don't miss out. Dive in at makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. We want to give a short math moment maker shout out to Jim Murray, who left us an awesome review on iTunes. Jim wrote, John Orr and Kyle Pierce offer practical ideas that can be used in the classroom immediately. Their suggestions will increase student engagement and help teachers improve the atmosphere for learning in their classrooms. These guys know what they're talking about and they inspire teachers to grow professionally. Thank you, John and Kyle, for sharing your knowledge, experiences, and ideas. 
we will give another shout out to a math moment maker on another upcoming episode. And maybe this time it will be you. Just hit that review button and tell us how listening to the podcast has helped you. Thanks so much, Jim. We really appreciate you taking the time to give us some feedback and also to help spread the podcast to more listeners. Without further ado, here's our chat with Jennifer Chang Waddle. Hey there, Jennifer. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show today. How are things over on the other side of the world? I want to say greetings from Hong Kong. So we're actually, I think, 12 hours ahead. I'm really happy to be on the show. So thank you so much for having me. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. We are getting ready to shut her down for the night and you are just waking up. So cool to be able to talk across the world like this. Jennifer, would you mind uh, helping our listeners understand just a little bit about yourself? You know, tell us a little bit about your backstory. What's your role in mathematics education? And, uh, you know, how'd you get into this gig? So thank you for asking that very interesting question. Hi, everyone. I'm an independent uh, educational consultant, and I run professional development courses and coach schools and school partnerships in a few different areas, actually. So I do help schools transition towards concept-based curriculum and instruction for all subject areas from K to 12. I also look at concepts and inquiry, but really my specialty area is is concept-based mathematics. So I'm very fortunate to be able to collaborate and coach educators around the world to transition towards teaching for more conceptual understanding and really reframing content and building curriculum that focuses, I think, on the deepen and meaningful concepts of different disciplinaries. But more so in mathematics. I'm also a part-time instructor at the University of Hong Kong. So I have that honor of supporting masters of education students, in particularly mathematics teachers. And it's probably one of the only master's programs that has a practicum. So I'm really lucky to be able to go into the classroom and support teaching and learning with my students at university. But my backstory really is that I enjoyed a 27-year teaching career in the classroom. So, you know, my roots really are about being a teacher. And I feel like I was born to be a teacher. I love those light bulb moments that you see when your students really understand and they're engaged and, and there's joy in what they're doing. And for me, that's the biggest reward. So, It was actually very difficult for me to leave the classroom. I only left the classroom two years ago, I think it was. And it was a difficult decision because I loved my students. I loved being in the classroom. And I said previously that I was born to be a teacher. You know, when I was 12 years old, my mother took me to a fortune teller in the mountains of Taiwan. That's where she was from. And this fortune teller looked into my face and she said, you know, you're going to be a math educator for the rest of your life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and who knew that I would actually make this vocation and that was, that she was going to be correct. But she also looked into my brother's face and she said, you're going to be a doctor. And my brother is a surgeon in Australia. You can, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. People always ask, can I please have the details of this fortune teller? So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Send them over to my way, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so whether she was right or not, and it really did kind of, I think, prepare me for a very long and very enjoyable career in the classroom. So when I decided two years ago to leave the classroom, It was difficult to leave my students, first of all, but I thought, well, I just want to try to have a bigger impact on how mathematics was taught. You know, how can I have more impact on more students worldwide rather than just the 30 students or the 20 students that were in front of me? So I made that difficult decision, but now I haven't looked back because, you know, I really do love what I do. I think we're one of the few people, and I think you, John and Carl, really love what you do. We actually are able to be in the position where we share our passion for mathematics learning, I think. And our goal is really to try and 
move away from this very traditional procedural approach and help students see the creativity, the beauty of the subject. And so I haven't looked back and I just absolutely love what I do. In fact, I've just come back from The Hague in the Netherlands and I was working with a group in Brussels and Belgium. So a lot of my work kind of tends to be either in Europe, I do a little bit of work in the States, Australasia, all around Asia. But I am looking forward to someday coming to Canada and collaborating with some of the educators there where you are. (laughs) We will welcome you with open arms. I'm still blown away by uh, the fortune or the... uh, (laughs) You're still stuck on that, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm like, that sounds like an amazing probability problem. Like, what's the chances for not just for one, but for both of you and your brother to be able to, uh, you know, if that wasn't uh, real, then she's awfully lucky. So that's a pretty amazing story. I, I want to back up just for a second. So you been out of the classroom for just a couple years now, yes. 27 years in the classroom. And I'm staring at your book sitting on my desk right now. And <laughs> so I know that you have this book called Concept-Based Mathematics, Teaching for Deep Understanding in Secondary classroom. So you are coming from secondary. I just want to clarify, did you teach certain grade levels or were you across the board or or actually were you teaching like K through 12 and just the book tended to focus more on secondary? Well, first of all, I want to say, yes, I enjoyed 27 years. I started when I was 12 years old in the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) But in terms of my background, I taught 10 year olds to 18 year olds. And I've really made it my focus, I think, as well, to professionally develop myself in terms of the K to six field. And I think working with elementary teachers and especially early years teachers has really been one of the most rewarding and fulfilling, I think, parts of my role as a coach. I think elementary teachers are multi-talented. You know, if you can teach half a dozen to 10 different subjects to your students and engage the same students day in, day out for a year, you're extremely talented. And I've actually learned quite a lot about, I would say, K-6 to education so that I can really support and coach elementary teachers. And Fortunately, I do still get to go into classrooms. So sometimes in my school partnerships, we actually co-create lessons and design lessons, and then we co-teach in the classroom. So that could be a variety of different ages and different schools. Yeah, I can definitely relate myself now in a role, a K through 12 math consultant for uh, my district. I just three years ago came out of the classroom as well. So I'm feeling the same, that same longing to be back in the classroom like you've expressed here. But for me, I'm just fascinated. I've said it before on the podcast, you know, the younger the children, the more fascinated I am by just how mathematics develops and just gaining my own understanding of concepts that I had been just using in my secondary classroom without even really thinking about how complex and like what is actually going on under the hood. So just like yourself, I think it's fascinating. I love, love, love hanging out in elementary classrooms now. And I think it's more because I want to fully understand it before I go back to the secondary world to start piecing all of that together too, just seeing how these big ideas, how early they start to develop and how easy it is for students to have gaps and, you know, maybe have fallen off the wagon because, you know, they weren't really given a great opportunity to learn outside of the procedures, right? Yes, I agree, Carl. I think at the same time that, you know, we have a lot to learn from early years teachers. I really have to shout out to early years teachers because everything at that age is conceptual. So they actually teach conceptually because there is no skill and drill. There is no low order facts to memorize, you know, when you're that age. Mm -hmm. And so normally in my workshops, when we have that mix of teachers that are K to 12, it is the early or pre-K, it's the pre-K teachers that are actually showing us and helping us to understand how to teach conceptually better because everything is play-based, which I think it should be all the way through. Everything, you know, is about either starting with concrete manipulatives, which I think is lacking in secondary schools as well. And so normally they are the rock stars in my workshops. So I think we have a lot to learn. Yeah. 
For sure. For sure. And you know what? I think we can unpack a lot of that statement and some of the statements you've just made as we dive into the rest of this this chat. But before we go too much further, could you fill us in on a couple more details? Could you fill us in on what would be your most memorable math moment from math class as a student or even as a teacher? Like when we say math class, what sticks out in your mind as something that has stuck with you for the 27 years as an educator or (laughs) those years as a student? A lot of us have those student memories. Wow, I've got so many, but I'm going to just focus on one that I actually do write about in my book and she's under the alias of May. So I had a student, May, She was in secondary school and she had experienced five years of very traditional teaching. And she came into my class. This is grade 11. So this is the last two years before entering university. And for the first couple of weeks, I noticed she was very quiet. She was a hardworking, dedicated student that was used to, I think, achieving excellent results through this traditional approach. At the time at the school, we were doing IGCSEs, which is a kind of grade 10 qualification in the UK. Uh, It was an international qualification. So she had, you know, got top scores in that in the previous year. She was in this class and I noticed that she was really quiet. And she came up to me a couple of weeks into term and she said, you know, Mrs. Waffle, I really do not understand a single thing that's going on in our lessons in maths. And I was devastated because I've made it my career and my vocation. Mm -hmm. And this is my passion. You know, I put all my energies into really trying to help students have that light bulb moment when they're learning mathematics and to be engaged and to really enjoy it. And here is this lovely student who is really high performing, but had been exposed to the traditional approach for the last five years. And she said to me, Can you just tell me the formula? Show me three examples and I will work from my textbook. And, you know, my lessons, we didn't use a textbook in the lessons because I feel like if there is a textbook, use it at home. There is a place. Yes, there is a purpose for the textbook, but it's not during our time together where it's a social endeavor and we're adopting a constructivist approach to really make meaning and understand what we're doing. And when she asked me questions, I wouldn't provide any answers because I see my role is not the answer machine in the classroom. My role is not sage on the stage. It's not even guide on the side. I'm the meddler in the middle. So I'm going to be really pushing your thinking by asking you questions, not answering your questions, but maybe scaffolding and providing prompts to help you, you know, especially in the initial stages of that, you know, when students form their understanding of particular mathematical concepts. I really believe in the, you know, let go for a period of time, but with scaffolding and prompt if necessary. So she was not used to this. The beginning of our lesson, I'd walk in, we'd have this lovely prompt that would be high ceiling, low threshold. She would have no idea where to go, how to answer this. And she wasn't used to being independent, resilient, and being able to embrace that productive struggle. You know, for her, mathematics was about being shown what the formula is. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times yeah. <laughs> as well. You know, being shown what the formula is, show me three examples and I would just go and practice. Yeah. You know, most of our high achieving students are exactly like that. They've had a lot of success as students in class in those previous years going in and maybe from listening to the podcast or we've talked about that idea a lot is they might have been successful in that system. But how much problem solving or how much actual math learning is what's going on here? And I think, you know, it comes down to the teachers who are teaching in that way. What are they defining as math learning and what are we defining as math learning? Because some of those teachers are saying math learning is I show you how to do it. You do it. Hey, you're doing math like that's what it is. Whereas, you know, like you, we tend to differ on that and we'd rather our students you know, be problem solvers and think critically and and work together and all that stuff. Yeah. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? 
setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, it's not monkey see, monkey do. That's not our philosophy at all. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. It really is about trying to engage our students' intellect. And I think there's a lack of, well, we've talked about the procedural approaches and an overemphasis on that, but I see in a lot of classrooms the lack of showcasing the creativity and beauty of mathematics in itself, you know, the conceptual language of mathematics. But there is a conclusion to the story of May, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so it doesn't happy end ending, there. Happy ending. Yeah. Well, okay, this is going to be a cliffhanger for a little while while I explain <laughs> what happened. So after a month, she did an assessment for me. She did very well, of course, because she's a hardworking student. And I said, May, what happened? You know, you've done very well. She said, well, I had to study so much by myself because I didn't understand what was going on in classes. I had to get the textbook every night. And she said, and this is the IB diploma course. So it was an SL, a standard level of class, which so in IB, in the diploma, there's high level courses and standard level courses. And you pick three standard level, three high level. So this was not one of her higher level courses that she had to focus a lot more time on. And she said, look, this is a standard level course. I don't have time and energy to do this every time we have an assessment. And I said, May, just give me some more time. This is a month into the semester. And I said, just give me some more time. I said, look, if you do have questions in class, do you want to see me outside of class? And then I, during lessons, I said, I'd check in with her regularly. And I said, May, just please give me a little bit more time. Just give me some more time. And in my head, I'm saying, there's method to my madness, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have to really believe in what you think is right when it comes to mathematics learning, especially when you have students that come to you and say, I don't understand anything that you're doing in your lesson. Right. You know, yeah. there's a big self-reflection that happens there. Um, you've got to be so confident with what you're doing. And lucky that was probably my 25th year of teaching. So, you know, if she would have come up to me in my second year of teaching, I probably would have wobbled and succumbed back to just telling her the problem. You know, you, mm-hmm. you've got to yep. really have confidence to believe that what you're doing for students is the right thing mm-hmm. in terms of their learning. So I kind of stuck with it. And so I think it's two months, we're two to three months now into the semester and we had another assessment and she did extremely well. And I said, May, what happened? And she said, well, I didn't actually study. It was just all there. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, everything was just all interconnected and I seemed to just really deeply understand and I kind of understand why you're not answering my questions now, you know. And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> I love and then, that. And then the next lesson, we were, I think, just starting binomial theorem, but we were starting a binomial theorem with a game. And the game was, you know, it's, I think I called it Sam the taxi driver. You start off at home, you can only go to the right, you can only go down in a grid to get to the school or something like that. And it's a lovely, it ends up in a lovely pattern. Exactly. It was an introduction. And then as she was doing this, she's like, oh, this is really fun. Oh, I want (laughs) more, you know? And I just felt elated (laughs) because I think a few weeks later, she actually wrote me a Christmas card because, you know, this was, so we started September, this is December now. And she said, thank you for not giving up on me. And I really do understand, you know, I nearly had tears in my eyes and I have her card laminated, posted on my wall as a reminder of just to keep persisting and to not give up in terms of confidence in what we believe in is the right thing to do by students. And I think the other lesson that I got from May was that 
students, like teachers, if they're learning something new or trying to transition and trying to progress their practice in some way, they are going to go through a dip, you know, and I call it the Fullen Dip. It's by Michael Fullen. Or you might have heard from the UK, there's another guy that calls it the Learning Pit. It's going to be very natural and normal for teachers and students to go through some kind of dip. But that dip, I think we have to embrace, we have to accept, and we have to say that productive struggle in the dip is part of the learning process. And if you don't experience it, you're not learning. Mm -hmm. So if I give you 10 questions and you know the answers to those 10 questions, have you learned anything at all? I would say, no, you haven't learned anything, actually, because you knew the answers to them already. Yeah, exactly. I always think back to the beginning of my career. It was exactly that. I had planned lessons, hoping that I did such a good job preparing and planning that no one would have questions at the end. (laughs) And once in a while, you know, you get that lesson where that would happen. But you look back on it and you go, maybe they just didn't care or maybe they already knew all the answers and I actually didn't actually teach them anything new. And that's a huge challenge. I'm happy that you articulated that after that story was in year 25, let's say, and, you know, you had that confidence, you knew what it was you were trying to achieve. And, you know, you had the belief that this was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like you said, if you went back and it was a year two teacher and, you know, you're there, I, I was just thinking to myself, I know when I started to shift my teaching, because my teaching wasn't always, you know, the way that we're describing right now. My teaching was very procedural initially, and that's what I thought it was supposed to be. And when I started changing, I remember the traditional high achievers, and I'm using bunny ears because, you know, like John said, it was like they were good at the procedural game, but they didn't actually understand the math. They're pretty unforgiving. Like when you change the game on them, especially I find like later in the game, when you get into high school and now kids are starting to think about post-secondary and, you know, it sounds like you were teaching in the IB program. Like, so these are going to be students that are not going to be so understanding when things aren't working out right. And lucky for your student there that something in her or maybe she could just tell that you knew what you were doing, like the confidence you had. I'm wondering, like, what advice could you give to a teacher who's listening to this going like, I wish I could be that brave but I'm just not. Like, what might that look like or sound like? What a great question, because I actually had this question last week (laughs) from a teacher. So, uh, you know, a teacher said, I have these students that don't understand the value of what I'm doing because they think tradition, you know, a maths lesson looks like me standing at the front of the board, giving the formula, and then students practicing from the textbook. And I think one of the things that the reason why May and I actually came to an understanding and she experienced success was that we built this relationship. You know, I think that we as teachers will never, ever be replaced by robots or any type of AI because of that human element that we bring to the classroom and the human relationships that we bring. We're not going to be replaced by textbooks or videos either. And I think it's, you know, all the studies and the research, especially from the World Economic Forum, have said teachers and all the industries that require all those human connections and human relationships and human skills are not going to disappear at all. So I think building a relationship, and this is what I said to this teacher, I said, You have to be prepared for your students to go through this transition and this dip. And if you go back to your classroom and you teach completely differently to how you taught yesterday, then that's going to be a very difficult, very hard sell. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to really hold their hand. And I really believe it's baby steps. You know, you as a teacher, if you are actually evolving in terms of your own practice and different pedagogical strategies, you're not going to come into your classroom the next day and be 180 degrees from where you were. I think it takes baby steps. So I said, you know, start just introducing small things. Another strategy I recommended to her was start off with some collaborative essential protocols or agreements about what the students want from their maths lessons. You know, do this at the beginning of the year. Let's co-create 
some guidelines and protocols and what students expect to see. And you'll be surprised at what students will say. Students will not say, you know, stand at the front of the board and make me practice out of my textbook, you know. And so I suggested that to, I said, set up some protocols, you know, have some common understandings with the students of what they expect, what maths lessons should look like, but then baby steps. So start off with just a few things. Don't change 180 degrees overnight because everybody's just going to be in shock and not ready. And then I said, in terms of stakeholders in the school community, it's not just students. You know, we have parents because it's parents that start complaining to the school board or to the administration about this teacher is not teaching. They're not standing at the front. They're not lecturing. They're not teaching my kids properly. And their scores may initially go down because they're floundering and they're not understanding the purpose, the bigger purpose. And so in a lot of my travels, I actually give parent talks to really help parents. And I'm a parent myself. I'm a parent of two adult children. I can't believe it. (laughs) They're 18. Uh, I have twin boys. So that's why I'm saying plural. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm a parent myself and I went through traditional schooling. So I know exactly what other parents are thinking, you know, when it comes to, in their minds, this progressive, fluffy type of teaching that's not very rigorous. This is one of the myths, right, of concept-based curriculum and instruction and and teaching for understanding and inquiry that there is no rigor in challenge. And after the parent talk, I've given quite a few and different levels of parent talks. But, you know, after the parent talk, I give parents the visible thinking routine. I used to think, now I think. And there's huge shifts. You know, parents, they want the best for their children. Right. And they just need to be, you know, I think, shown and they need to be educated about what really is effective learning and what's going to really enhance their children's education in the long run. Kyle and I were both just at the NCTM conference in San Diego, and we were both had the pleasure of seeing Sarah Vanderwerf present. And she told uh, an interesting anecdote, you know, that when she travels, she always asks the cab drivers or the uh, the people that she meets, like, uh, what do they think about math? and the math class and you know they always have these memories that aren't so glamorous and she says you know like two-thirds of the people are like that they give those stories about math class and then she said it's the same two-thirds of that are parents that say but I still want you to teach math the same way I was taught right it's like those parents still have like what you're saying is about you know educating the parents that it's going to be changing and and you want to present that to them like did you really enjoy math class when you were young and most of them are saying no like but you still are angry that math is coming home and it's not the math that you learned or it's not the way you learned it and you know the frustration is they they probably frustrated in the sense that they're having trouble helping their sons or daughters or their children with that math. And, you know, it's coming out that way. But I always think about that, that we do need to educate the parents. And I think that's something that uh, we need to do more of for sure. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah, definitely. I think once you have parents on board, you have students on board first and foremost. And then once you have students on board, it's just a matter of just, you know, helping our parents understand what 21st century mathematics learning looks like. Right, right. (laughs) You know, it's very clear that you are so passionate about teaching math conceptually, as shown in your book, uh, Concept Based Mathematics. Did you always believe that math should be taught this way? You kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. I'm sure this is not exactly how you were taught, but when did this shift happen for you? Like early in your career, late in your career? Can you give us a little bit of a timeline there? Like I know that you mentioned a little bit about baby steps for teachers. That's your recommendation. But what's an actual like good timeline for teachers? Maybe they want to model it off of what you did. 
Could you give us a little insight in there? I'm a bit older, (laughs) (laughs) I would say. So for me, I probably, you know, developed my teaching craft in terms of teaching for understanding and inquiry-based learning approaches later. I'd probably say towards the 15th to 20th year. You know, I I taught traditionally for a good 15 years, I would say. This is not binary. I don't want to say traditional teaching is wrong or right, that, you know, there's no such wrong. There's nothing wrong in any kind of teaching strategy. I want to get that clear and that point across because, you know, as teaching is this complex, exciting, dynamic craft, and we have this toolbox of different pedagogical strategies. And, you know, there are times where we have to use direct instruction or some explicit instruction, which I think is what we term as traditional teaching. But for me, traditional teaching is that you only use that particular pedagogical strategy of direct instruction. You know, I think we really need to expose our students to a whole variety of different approaches to learning mathematics. And that may include some direct instruction when necessary of very low order uh, thinking skills and facts. I think there's nothing wrong with direct instruction when it comes to the low order things that we want our students. But when it comes to the high order thinking, you know, that's something we want to draw out from our students through learning experiences. But in terms of my own career, I'm hoping that people now, because I'm of an older generation, you know, I was in a generation where there was still corporal punishment in school. So you know, I, I don't think, I don't want anyone to follow my career or my pathway. But nowadays, I know that there's this huge movement of back to basics. I've heard in the UK, it's the same thing. And, you know, there's this, I think, misconception that you either only teach facts and skills and you go back to basics or you teach conceptual understandings. And and that's a complete false dichotomy. In fact, you need both. You need both facts and skills. They go hand in hand with conceptual understandings. You know, that the facts and skills are the low levels of thinking. The conceptual understandings are the high levels of thinking. We want to be able to connect those two levels, you know, by creating some kind of synergy between those two levels of thinking. And we achieve that through using inquiry-based learning in mathematics. So your inquiry will actually connect those facts and skills with those conceptual understandings. So in other words, you need to be able to know and do something in order to understand. You can't understand by itself. So I'm hoping that I know that there's huge movements at the moment in pockets around the world with back to basics and and focusing on the skills and facts. But, you know, I'm hoping that there are more pockets around the world that believe, well, let's try to evolve our practice or let's try to adapt what mathematics learning looks like now so that we actually do prepare our students for this unknown, very exciting world because of the exponential growth in technology. We know many studies, Oxford University did one that basically said 47% of jobs are no longer going to exist in the next two decades because of automation. The World Economic Forum actually just released something and they said in 2022, they think that many companies think 50% of jobs are no longer going to exist because of automation. So, you know, what are we preparing our students for? So I'm hoping that there are pockets. Don't follow my path necessarily, but maybe (laughs) follow my path from the 15th year, you know? Really think about how are we going to bring back that joy into the classroom? How am I going to engage my students, but give them these necessary, I think, not just skills and facts, but understandings, that they can transfer and apply to different situations? How can I develop their intellect? Because basically information without intellect is absolutely meaningless. For sure. Well, I'm so happy that you helped the listeners hear that, you know, it wasn't like you came out of your pre-service and, you know, like had it all figured out. I think that's always like people give a sigh of relief, like, oh, it's okay that maybe I'm feeling like I'm not where I want to be in terms of my math instruction, for example. And I think by you sharing that, you know, it's been a long journey. I think that helps people to see that like, hey, wait a second, we can all do this and it does take time. And I appreciate you saying to take those small moves. Something else I really appreciated as well, I jotted a note down here was just this idea that 
direct instruction, there is always going to be a place there. And I'm going to argue that it's really like, I think one of the mistakes I made early on, and I'm saying it's a mistake. I mean, you learn from your mistakes, so I don't, it's no regret, but what I did early on was I sort of went and I let the pendulum swing all the way to the other side. And my class, you know, it was tons of inquiry going on all the time, nonstop. But one thing, it was like I felt afraid to actually use any sort of direct instruction to actually consolidate the learning. And that is something that's so important because if I'm doing an investigation and I'm too afraid to actually, you know, use any form of explicit instruction, then half of the kids may completely miss the learning objective of that lesson. And this is something that I hope people listening, when we talk about it, it's like we talk a lot about inquiry and sparking curiosity and fueling sense-making and all of these things on this podcast. But at the end of the day, the reason we talk about those things is because, you know, they're kind of harder and they're not something that we all feel like 100% comfortable with. But it doesn't mean that we want to shift all the way over. And I think you did a great job of articulating that. Thank you, Carl. I want to also bring up the levels of inquiry as well. And I know that Trevor McKenzie talks about this. Our dear friend who connected us. Thank you, Trevor. Shout out to you. Yeah, um, another shout out. This is like podcast, what, three or four where Trevor gets <laughs> yeah, like shout out, Sarah John? <laughs> <laughs> but also the work of Andrew Blair. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's from the UK and I've been following him for years. His website is inquirymaths.com and he talks about the levels of inquiry too. So whether you believe there's three or four actually doesn't matter, but there are levels. There's, there's highly structured levels of inquiry for those students and teachers that are just transitioning and they're not ready to like really let go yet. But here are lots of prompts to help you. And here's lots of scaffolding to really help you. But we're still not going to tell you what you should understand from these lessons or from this lesson. But at least you have more confidence or more opportunities to build your confidence. And then there's the guide approach which is less prompting and then of course we have the open approach you know there's not that many opportunities I see for authentic open inquiry but there are and it's not something that you would do all the time in your lessons and so I think to help teachers really try and use more inquiry in their lessons you know think about those levels and, and start off highly structured with lots of prompts, but just don't tell students that the key here is not to tell students what those conceptual understandings are. Because for me, that would be like robbing them of that experience and that aha moment. Imagine if like I gave you a present and I told you what that present exactly. was before yeah, you exactly. opened it. Or if I, you know, instead of showing the trailer to a movie, I tell you the spoiler to the movie. So I want to set the stage for learning. I want to get you excited. I want to at least tell you certain things about it, but you're going to find out what that present is at the end of the lesson or at the end of the series of lessons. I think about it in a math classroom as well. And I tend to be somewhere in the middle of those different levels of inquiry where, you know, it's very well thought out as to the learning objective. And I think the part I really like about math, and it's an opportunity, it's something that Kathy Fosno speaks a lot about in her resources, including context for learning kits, is just this idea of like not trying to fix the mathematician, she says. And, you know, we're letting the kids work through and see their solution through. But like at the end of the day, like we've put them in this scenario. It's like we know where, you know, we can anticipate where students are likely going to go, at least, you know, these different types of strategies. And of course, they surprise us every now and again. But that's the part that I think is just so awesome. And in my classroom early on in my career, that just never happened. Like it was just me telling and, you know, there really wasn't any sort of investigation, any sort of inquiry going on. One thing I want to come back to, and I'm worried I don't want to move too far away from it because I wanted to ask this a little earlier. You know, my district, we've done a lot of work around shifting beliefs and we focus a lot on the mathematical proficiencies through the uh, National Research Council and in the adding it up document. And after years of working in our district around the five proficiencies, one of those proficiencies being conceptual understanding, I feel like 
teachers in our district have a, a much better view of what it means to be mathematically proficient. But yet, through conversations, we still hear teachers with different conceptions themselves of what it means to teach conceptually. So I'm wondering, like, what does it mean to you? Like, if someone's at home and they're going, yeah, like, you know, I feel like a lot of teachers are like, of course I teach conceptually. But when you actually observe a lesson, oftentimes what you find is it's it's less conceptual and more like, well, I'm going to teach you why this works, but it's based on another set of rules that we're not really sure where they came from either. So like, what does that mean to you? And, you know, I don't know if you have like a layman's term sort of way to describe it, but I'm curious and I'm sure there's some people at home going, yeah, like, I think it's this, but like, maybe I'm off the mark. Yeah, I liked how you said, Kyle, about the why. So teaching conceptually really helps students to understand the purpose of what they're doing and the reasons why. And I'll give you an example because I think it's always good to have concrete examples. One of the tenets of concept-based curriculum is that we use an inductive, well, we try to encourage an inductive teaching approach by looking at concrete examples first and then helping students to generalize for themselves. So I'll give you an example. I had a grade eight class one year and I said to them, At the beginning of the year, we're about to start trigonometry, and I said, have you learned about those uh, ratios and corresponding sides in the right-angled triangles? And they had no clue (laughs) of what I was talking about. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And then as soon as I said Sokotoa, you know, they got their calculators out, and they went, yeah, they're formulae on a (laughs) calculator. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, they really did not understand what right. those ratios boxes. were. There were just black boxes, substitute, right. or I hate the word plug, you know, uh, substitute oh, yeah. numbers in, get an answer out, no idea what this means, that they're really about similar triangles and, and those ratios of different corresponding sides. And so for me to teach conceptually means that you think about what is the purpose or what is why or what is the really deep understanding from Sakotoa, those trig ratios. So the deep understanding is that you really want students to understand the similarity of right angle triangles and different corresponding ratios, corresponding sides and the, their ratios. So that would drive learning then. So what does learning look like in a conceptual classroom? Well, you would have different tables, perhaps with different similar triangles. So maybe one table has the 45, 45 similar triangles, and they're all different sizes. And they would actually either measure and they can use, I think, you know, any online graphing software as well. So they don't have to measure. But sometimes I like to ask students to pick up their rulers and measure things, especially when it comes to introductions to calculus, I think, before we move into graphing software. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to the trig ratios. (laughs) No, that's definitely important, you know, not Mm -hmm. jumping to the technology too quickly. Exactly. I love technology, but there's a time and a place. So, you know, you would ask them to measure and then they would look at different sides like opposite over adjacent or opposite over hypotenuse and see what they notice. And then you would ask them to communicate, to articulate what is that understanding that they are coming out from that learning experience. And I probably wouldn't even mention Sokotoa because the minute that you mention Sokotoa, all the conceptual ideas then become reduced down to this formula and procedural approaches without really focusing on that beauty of, well, how come all those ratios of corresponding sides and similar right angle triangles are always the same? You know, it's like pi, the same thing. Why? How come? All the ratios of circumference to diameter is the same, you know, is the same. So that really is beautiful and very creative. And we need to bring that out a little bit more. So that's an example of teaching conceptually. So it's really understanding your purpose and your goal. And that purpose and goal should be articulated by teachers first so that we design learning engagements around that goal and that purpose. And we call them generalizations. So they're, you know, statements of conceptual understanding. Now, when I know what that statement is, I can design a lesson or a series of lessons around that. And then I can use particular questions to draw that understanding from my students. You know, I can use a combination of factual and conceptual questions to then draw that understanding so that I give my students that opportunity and the agency to really own what they understand through that learning experience. 
Well, that's an awesome example. I really appreciate you clarifying that for folks who are listening. And what I'm hearing is, well, I'm hearing a few things, quite a bit actually, but one that's popping into my mind is just this idea that when you're teaching conceptually, to me, it sounds like it's not just about answer getting. It's about something so much more. It's, you know, when you had mentioned Sokotoa and, you know, the kids are, hey, all right, we're good. We're good to go. Let's, you know, fire this into the calculator. You said plug into the calculator, right? And you know, I almost think that the word plug is appropriate in that scenario because there is no mathematical language mm-hmm. or yes. thinking there. It's just, exactly. we're just aimlessly firing things in. And when I go into a classroom, I've done some traveling. I was a part of a project called the NORCAN project. And, you know, we had an opportunity to go to Alberta province here in Canada, and then go to Norway and go into classrooms and I would always seek out classrooms. I was always curious about trigonometry at the time. This was a couple of years ago. And, you know, something about trigonometry, it was like, no matter where I went, the students didn't have any conceptual understanding of what it was they were doing. So it was exactly what you had said. Like, it was like you were reading my mind. And what I realized eventually was this idea that even if we back it all the way up just to proportional relationships in general, students don't fully understand what's going on there anyway. And that's to me where, you know, I was thinking like, how could I help students with trigonometry? I'm like, oh boy, I think we need to back up even earlier. And it introduces this other challenge that is a huge concern for John and I is this idea of even like just our own content knowledge as teachers. Mm. It can be really difficult for me to teach conceptually if I'm not feeling like I have a conceptual command of the topic. I always say I got a degree in procedural fluency. (laughs) I did not get a degree in conceptual understanding, you know, and that, and that is like a big, big hole to fill. I don't know if you can speak to that at all. Like, how do you suggest teachers go about trying to figure out how the curriculum that they have to teach, how do they begin unpacking the concepts? I mentioned one of the tenets as being the inductive teaching approach. And when I learned about this, probably I would say seven years ago, so quite recent in terms of my career, it really reframed everything I did in the classroom. So if you look at some of the websites such as Enrich, you know, from Cambridge University, if you look at James Tanton's lovely stuff, my dear friend, James and Exploding Dots, I, I was listening <laughs> Everybody to. loves James. Oh, we all love him. Yeah, big fan. You know, it's all very inductive, which means that you start off with concrete examples first. So when you're designing, let's say, a learning engagement, it could be highly structured to begin with in terms of the level of inquiry. And you want to give students that opportunity to generalize by giving them a few concrete examples, very carefully chosen, thought out examples. So I think that that helps in terms of that journey. Confidence with teachers is probably one of the biggest issues that I really am focusing on in my coaching role, because if you don't have confidence, then you can't do anything, right? And it really is sometimes about confidence in that you're ready to admit that you don't know something that takes quite, it's a big deal. And I do this a lot in my workshops to model a learner, you know, to model that I'm a lifelong learner. I don't know everything. I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to say when I don't know. And when I'm struggling, I'm going to let everybody know that I'm struggling. And so it's very important that you model that as a teacher. Now, if you model that and you believe that you're a lifelong learner and that you're supposed to go through this, I think then it's a matter of before I even teach a lesson, I still do the lesson myself. You know, I've just co-authored these reference books for the new diploma, IB diploma mathematics courses, and I'm working through those investigations myself. You know, after 27 years, there was a school a month ago and the day before my visit, they said, oh, can you come and teach some lessons? And I actually said, I'm really sorry. You know, I've got a plan it. After 27 years, I still plan my lesson. I'm not going to have time. I'm going to be on a plane. I'm going to, you know, I won't have time. So, you know, I think it's important that we do mathematics as mathematics teachers. And I still do this. I have a degree in applied and pure mathematics, but I still make sure that I do the activity so that I can see misconceptions, so that I can, I think, address my own misconceptions and try to guide my own thinking. 
in terms of what I think is important. Because at the end of the day, everything in mathematics is very, very important. So we have to then make that decision. Well, what is the most important things, you know, on a conceptual level that we want to decide to invest time in in our lessons? And that's the decision that we have to make. What do you think that, so I decided, you know, to design those lessons around trigonometry because even you, Carl and John, has probably faced that, you know, the same misunderstanding and misconceptions from students in different places about that. So we have to decide, well, what are those areas that students are going to not understand fully on a conceptual level? And let's design learning experiences to really help them understand that. I think another one is the ambiguous case of the sign rule. You know, it's so important. That's something that's so confusing for a lot of students. And I think even just looking at circular functions and generating those trigonometric functions, yes, you can have an applet that will show you something like that in five seconds, but I invest 80 minutes in an activity called spaghetti and sign curves where we get spaghetti. You probably heard of that mm-hmm. one. It's in my book. You get sticks of spaghetti and you generate the curve using a unit circle. And we spent 80 minutes instead of five seconds looking at an applet. So we as teachers have to decide what do we think conceptually is important to actually invest and design learning experiences for our students. What do we value? For sure. And you know, you're talking about challenges that teachers have when they're transitioning to this more progressive inquiry approach. You know, you brought up confidence, like we need to have this confidence. And it's something that uh, it is a struggle for some teachers to have that confidence to go forward. You know, you talked about knowing where the misconceptions were. You talked about knowing what conceptually you want to bring out. These are all kind of struggles to transition. Are there any more struggles that you want to uh, bring up here? And then maybe like, like strategies to help teachers overcome a couple of these struggles? Probably just to reiterate that confidence with the actual mathematics. And sometimes it's not confidence. Sometimes it is that, you know, maybe a teacher doesn't have a degree in mathematics and they love the subject, they love teaching, but it's not necessarily their background. And so I would still encourage math teachers to do mathematics regardless of their age, regardless of their experience, I still enjoy doing mathematics. And I think, you know, just being able to model that lifelong learner that I'm still learning about mathematics in different areas of mathematics. In these new diploma math courses, you know, we put in some new topics in mathematics. And so I'm relearning those from university, you know, so that I can be confident uh, in teaching them and, and creating learning engagements that will help my students understand or teachers understand those different topics in mathematics. So my advice would be just do the mathematics. Go on to inquirymaths.com, go into Mm, Enrich, you know, by Cambridge. Illuminations is wonderful, but their subscription now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I get emails from my district all the time. Do we have a subscription? I'm like, ah, we don't right now. Yeah. Yeah, but they're wonderful too. And just do it. Sit down and, you know, think about the next unit that you've got to teach your students. Look for some resources and do it and then improve and modify and add your own flavor. Right, right. I love how you mentioned just about us doing the mathematics, because at the end of the day, if we're not doing it, I mean, we're not going to learn anything new about it. You know, it'll be very difficult for me to be able to draw out what's important if I'm not too sure what's important. I think now I've been playing a lot, like I said, with elementary math and looking at the implications of partitive and quotative division when we're working in proportional relationships. Like John and I actually just released a new course inside of our academy, the Math Moment uh, Academy. And that's something that we're really focusing in on for the middle school classrooms is really trying to get a handle on proportional relationships. And, you know, you would be just shocked at how many different, what would seem like fairly simple problems, you know, we've been unpacking and a colleague of mine, uh, Yvette Lehman from my district, we're constantly going back and forth about some of these things that seems pretty basic, but is not. It's actually quite complex. So as you move up that ladder into trigonometry, you get closer to calculus and, you know, things just explode. So I love that recommendation. Well, Jennifer, listen, we are looking here and John and I had a long list of more ideas that we wanted to pull out here, uh, including, you know, some ideas from your book, including the structure of knowledge versus process. We wanted to get into this idea of like planning units of study to draw out conceptual understanding. So 
you know, we're looking at the time and we don't want to take up too much more of your day. It is our evening, but your day. Is it possible that maybe in the future we'll be able to uh, get you back on the podcast so we can dive even deeper into your book, Concept Based Mathematics? I would love that, Carl. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that would be fabulous. It's so wonderful to be able to, you know, have a conversation with (laughs) like-minded people. (laughs) Uh, Jennifer, where could uh, our listeners find more about you? Where could they go uh, as soon as they hit the pause button? Yep. So my website, it's actually jenniferchangwaffle.com. Maybe you can just share the link. Yes. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. I've also got the domain conceptbasedmathematics.com as well, which I run online courses. And please find me on Twitter too. It's great professional learning for me. So that's my handle is at Jennifer Waffle. Perfect. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Jennifer. We will put all that in the show notes. And I'm sure people right now are clicking on those and heading out to see what else they can learn from you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for taking the time, Jennifer. It's uh, all our pleasure. And we hope you have an amazing day as uh, John and I look towards ending ours. So enjoy the day. And we can't wait to have you back on the podcast sometime soon. Thank you so much. Enjoy your evening. Looking forward to future chats. We want to thank Jennifer for our wonderful conversation. We know that you and the Math Moment Maker community received answers to questions you had or now have new questions that you'll be seeking answers to, to dig and think deeper on. The Making Math Moments That Matter podcast is excited to bring you the Math Moments with Corwin Mathematics book giveaway. That's right. We'll be giving away 10 books from Corwin Mathematics, including Jennifer's book, Concept-Based Mathematics, Teaching for Deep Understanding in Secondary Classrooms. Plus, you'll receive Corwin discounts and digital downloads just for entering the draw. You can get in on the giveaway by visiting makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by Wednesday, July 31st, 2019. Are you listening after July 31st, 2019? No sweat. We are always actively running giveaways. So check out makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by Wednesday, July 31st to get in on this Corwin Math Book giveaway. But if you've already missed it, no worries. Go to that same link, makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway, and you can get in on the new giveaway. Awesome. Don't miss out. Dive in at makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. If you haven't checked out jenniferwadalchang.com yet to learn more about her book, concept-based mathematics, as well as her other professional learning resources, be sure to do so now. Kyle, what was your big takeaway from our conversation? My biggest takeaway is just how far Jennifer has come in her own mathematics teaching journey. When you hear a mathematics consultant speaking at a conference or you read a book and you think about how we can do this better, I think it's easy for each of us to jump to the conclusion that they must have just always known this stuff or, you know, they had the secret sauce to teaching mathematics. It's like our irrational brain throws these thoughts in our heads to make us feel inadequate when in reality, Jennifer openly shared with us how long it took before she started to shift her teaching practice. This was just another great example of how it is never too late to continue learning and trying to do the best we possibly can for our students. I really appreciated that. How about you, John? What resonated with you? You know, that definitely resonated with me when she talked about it's being, you know, we're all on a journey and we're here just to do better. And it's not the same for everyone. We all progress at different speeds, just like our students do in math class. I really appreciated when she called herself the meddler in the middle, you know, like she's not the teacher at the front giving, you know, the advice and the step-by-step instruction. She's in the middle with the students, helping them overcome their, you know, productive struggles uh, and giving them the feedback they need when they need it. I really appreciated that with her. I also appreciated when we asked her about what struggles teachers have in changing their practice, she not only let us know what struggles those are so that we can watch out for them, but she gave us tips and strategies on how to overcome those struggles, which is great for you to know as a teacher so that you can be aware of those things. But also if you're in a coaching role or consulting role, you now have some 
better tools to go into those conversations with uh, your teachers and to know what to watch out for. So I appreciated all of those things that she shared in this conversation. Awesome. Yeah, definitely some new tools for our tool belt. So how about you at home? What's your big takeaway from this episode? Share it with a friend, a colleague, or send us a message on social media at Make Math Moments on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each week, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach an even wider audience by leaving us a review on iTunes and tweeting us at Make Math Moments on Twitter. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 29. That's again, makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 29. We release a new episode every Monday morning. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.